A year ago today, when Russia invaded Ukraine, we at Today Explained frantically tried to find Ukrainians to tell us what they were experiencing. In a completely random stroke of luck, we reached a man named Kuri Vasil in western Ukraine. Now, he didn't speak English, so that was a mess, but his niece, Yulia Lopushinska, did, and she agreed to translate. The two of them were proud, they were defiant, they were sure Ukraine would win. And despite everything, they were also very funny. So I asked them, could we all keep in touch? <laughs> My uncle says, uh, sure, if we are still alive. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Mr. Vasil. Thank you and glory to Ukraine. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello? Hello, hello, yeah. Uh, good morning, USA. Mikola, hello. Oh, hello, Noel. Mikola Polison is a journalist himself, and he's helping us get a better quality interview than last year's shaky phone line. And Mikola, you are there with Yulia, yes? Yes, yes, Noel, I am with Yulia here in uh, Truskovets. Mikola and Yulia are in Truskovets, Ukraine, and 80 kilometers away is her uncle, Kuri Vasil. Hello. Just like she did a year ago, Yulia has volunteered to translate for him. Yulia, I want to start by asking you, how are you doing? Well, today I am fine. Well, now I am fine. But the night um, was not very easy because this night we had the next uh, missile attack and uh, it was really close to our house. So the night was rough, but now we are okay. Now we are fine. What happens when a missile strikes close to your house? What do you do? Uh, Well, we just get scared. We cannot do anything, you know. Sometimes we can go to the corridor between the two walls if it's really dangerous. Uh, So uh, we get safe. But in general, we have nowhere to go. Yulia, how old are your children now? Almost 11, almost 6, and 2 year old. And how are they doing the younger the boys, they they didn't wake up in the at night, 
But the girl, our daughter, she woke up at night uh, and she got scared. Actually, she was the first one to wake up uh, because of this really uh, sound, loud, loud sound. That's why uh, she got really scared. And even in the morning, uh, she did not want to go to school because she said, if... if uh, I go to school and there is air alert again. Uh, what sh what should I do? So that's why it, sometimes it it gets rough, but well, we get in there. <laughs> I can't imagine trying to explain war to kids. Frankly, what do you say? The six-year-old, we talk uh, to him about it a little bit, some things in general. Uh, we try to tell him to value things that we have here and especially to be really nice to the soldiers when he sees them uh, outside and the streets. And sometimes he even, when he sees the soldier who came back from the war, he sometimes even wants to go to the soldier and to talk to him, ask some questions. And as it, it, I, I, I'm, I, I'm really I get excited because it's nice when children understand, when children can value the situation in what we are now. And one day, uh, the six-year-old, uh, he told me, you know, mom, uh, I want to be a military man when I grow up. And I was so surprised that some, well, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I like the idea, but at least he uh, is not scared of them. He uh, wants to go to them, to talk to them, uh, to ask some questions. And talking about our daughter, well, she's almost 11. She knows a lot uh, because she goes to school. She talks to her friends, the teachers, well, they have to explain. And sometimes we do too. We, well, not sometimes because it's every day. Uh, this is our life nowadays. So this is everyday situation. And every, every, uh, well, air alert, we, well, we have to talk about it. Well, this is, this is how it is. Would you translate while I ask, uh, Kuri Vasil some questions? I'll, I'll try. Okay, <laughs> Kuri Vasil, how are you? Hello. Як ваші справи? Everything is fine. We are alive. And every day in the morning when we wake up and we see uh, each other, we say hello. And when we are uh, safe and sound, we are happy. How has his life changed in the last year? What has he been doing th this time? Питання до вас. Як змінилося ваше життя за цей рік? І чим ви займалися? Що ви робили? My life and as the life of every Ukrainian uh, has changed. Uh, well, of course, I uh, uh, did my uh, own work, my own business, and also I helped uh, the army. How is he helping the army? Every single Ukrainian is uh, in some kind of community which is united uh, and around gathering things for the army, uh, different things. Some people do gather food, like humanitarian help. Some people uh, buy weapons, some people buy vehicles, uh, military vehicles, uh, drones. And uh, this is what every single Ukrainian uh, is doing right now. And we are united uh, around that. Yulia, I, I hear your uncle saying that his life is different 
in the sense that he's really thrown himself into the war effort, into organizing. What's the biggest difference in your life from a year ago? Well, before the war, some uh, sometimes I thought that maybe I would love to live abroad. Maybe I would love my kids to see the world. Well, it's not bad to see the world, but I wanted them to live there, to discover mm. the world. But now uh, I want to travel the world, but I want to live in Ukraine. I want to stay here uh, to uh, raise my kids, to bring bring them up here in uh, my country. That makes a lot of sense. I wonder, Yulia, and I'll ask your uncle this question and then I'll ask you, do you think that Ukraine is going to win this war? Питання таке, як ви думаєте, чи Україна виграє цю війну? Ukraine uh, won this war within the first three days when uh, Ukraine has united and uh, could and managed uh, to stand against. Uh, and now it's not the question uh, if we win the war, the question is how uh, many, how much more, how many people, soldiers, young people, Uh, will die in this war. But the main idea, what my uncle is trying to tell you, is that Ukraine uh, cannot, may not, will not uh, lose in this war. If Ukraine loses, the world, the whole civilization loses. Yulia, what do you think about this question? Well, I agree with my uncle. I don't think that it's the war only uh, between Russia and Ukraine. So I think it's because if Ukraine loses, then the next is Europe. You and your uncle both see this as a world war. It's Russia against the rest of the world. Do you think the rest of the world is paying enough attention to Ukraine? No, not not enough attention. Yeah, yeah, I could hear I could hear that one without translation. Навіть без перекладу вона це зрозуміла. If to talk about this war only as the war between Russia and Ukraine, it's really uh, dangerous because if Ukraine loses the war, it means that Russia uh, will go further on. And I am here today, well, my uncle says that I am here today, I give you this, well, almost one hour of my valuable time, and I'm asking you to talk about it, not to forget that somewhere in the world, people, they die, uh, they fight for freedom, uh, they want to live in a free country. That's why I am asking you now to talk about it, to uh, not to forget about it. And then after that hour of Kuri and Yulia's valuable time, it was time for us all to go. My uncle says he says thank you and he's ready to join you anytime. Good, good. What if we <laughs> what if we check in six months from today? You'll bo- you'll both still you'll both still be in Lviv in in Lviv Oblast. Alive? Yeah, no, Yulia. <laughs> You're always making dark well. jokes. <laughs> Six months is a really long time for Ukrainians because every time, every, well, evening we go to sleep when we don't know if we wake up in the morning. Uh, my uncle says that maybe it's uh, better uh, to do it well more often. How about three months? 
Three months is okay? Dobra. Ok. Ok. Oh, he says okay. <laughs> Coming up a year to the day after we interviewed journalist Igor Kosov, who'd come straight from sheltering in the subway, we asked where his reporting took him this past year. Support for Today Explained comes from Mint Mobile, the only cell phone that tastes good. When the deal is too good to be true, there's probably a catch, right? That incredibly cheap flight to Europe? You probably can't bring a bag or pick your seat or use the restroom. So when I tell you that Mint Mobile offers wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably wondering, what's the catch? Well, according to Mint Mobile, there is no catch. According to Mint Mobile, it's only 15 bucks a month and their plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, you can go to mintmobile.com slash explain. That is mintmobile.com slash explain. You can cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash explain. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Support for Today Explained comes from Ramp. This ad goes out to all the finance professionals looking for love. I'm just kidding. Looking for a better way to simplify business finance across expenses, vendor payments, and accounting. And to all the accountants tired of the same old finance software, Ramp may be the answer you've been looking for. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. So what does that mean? Well, according to Ramp, they give finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spending. Issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions. Automate expense reporting so you don't waste time. Ramp says its accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time so that you don't have to. That could put an end to chasing down receipts and to your employees spending hours submitting expense reports. And now you can get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash explained, ramp.com slash explained, ramp.com slash explained. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank. Members FDIC. Terms and conditions do apply. Why don't we begin uh, with your full name, of course, and what you do? Yeah, it's been a minute. <laughs> I'm uh, Igor Kosov. I'm a reporter at the Kiev Independent. I covered many different topics, mostly revolving around the war for the past year. You and I talked almost exactly a year ago. And at that time, I remember you had just come up above ground. Uh, you'd been sheltering in the subway station. Uh, I had to stop by my apartment. Uh but um, I was earlier taking shelter at a uh, in a subway station because there was a um, threat, a credible threat of a possible bombing uh, of Kiev. What has life been like since then for the last year? That's thanks for leading off with a short and easy to answer question. <laughs> no, but seriously, at first it was a bit tense. Everyone was um, trying to get out of the city to Western Ukraine. Some were going to Europe. People are sheltering or some people are staying put. 
When the Battle of Kiev started, the war opened up, as we know, with the paratrooper attacks on Hostomel Airport near Kiev, and they were supposed to kill the leadership, secure Kiev, and then the, the rest of the troops were supposed to roll in and occupy the country. A senior lieutenant who goes by Starsky was one of the defenders and says Russia attacked with 34 helicopters. Ukraine shot some down, but not all. And so the Ukrainian commander shelled the runway to prevent the invasion force of airborne troops from landing. Well, I think that's, the uh, spearhead attack immediately failed, and then the sort of the grinding war started. And uh, during that time, Kiev's population was down to half. Everything was kind of closed, except uh, delis and uh, supermarkets, rather, and pharmacies. And uh, life was pretty tense. Uh, there was uh, explosions in the distance all the time. But people were just kind of, like I imagine, the Brits uh, in World War II. There was a lot of um, keeping calm and carrying on going on that I saw. Mm -hmm. um, then the Russians got out. Um, there was a brief rejoicing until, until everyone saw what they left in Bucha, you know. Their bodies lie face up, hands bound, mouths contorted. The men all allegedly killed by Russian soldiers. These bodies are now being taken away for burial. An official involved in the process said that over the past few weeks here in Butcher, he's found around 300 bodies. He said about 30% of them were women and children, and he believes that more are going to be found. But after that, life in Kiev region got back to normal. In the summer, you could almost think that there was no war going on at all, since all the action was concentrated in uh, Donbass. We sort of got back to the early days when Russia started, uh, decided that it's going to use missiles and drones to destroy the power plants and the energy infrastructure. And we started getting missile attacks and drone attacks every week, every two weeks. Russia has ruthlessly been targeting Ukraine's energy grid and is being accused of weaponizing winter by plunging huge parts of the country into cold and darkness. People also kind of started off by taking shelter, but after a while, it's just, you know, there's just, it, it t takes too much out of your day. You got to get things done. People just walking around, delivering food, driving. Um, I don't even take shelter. I just keep working. Huh? Yeah. I mean, I used to sit in the hallway in the first couple of months, but now I'm just sort of, you know, that's just officially, I wouldn't recommend that to people, but this is just how life is here. Everyone's just tired of it and used to it. And, uh, yeah, missiles kill people and, uh, that's just something people have gotten used to. You spent time reporting on volunteers in Kiev. Can you tell me about that? I was monitoring the crossing from where the Russians were. Ukrainian forces were holding them back. Ukrainians uh, were trickling across. And uh, Russians sometimes hit them with artillery. This guy shows up, just, just swerves up on this old silver van, you know, jumps out and yells, I need a medic. So I jogged over to one of the soldiers. They got a medic. There were two bodies in there. I helped him carry one of them. It was a friend of the the guy that I met. So we started talking, and then he told me that him and his friend, Andre, go um, to the areas that have not fully been liberated, and they evacuate people, bring them into Kiev, which was very safe, kind of a fortress. So I decided to go with them on one of their daily missions, and it was uh, one of the most incredible things I've ever experienced. We evacuated a bunch of people and pets, uh, we got into some misadventures. That day, it was probably from their point of view, was boring because we didn't get, I mean, we got murdered once and uh, 
from their point of view, it was pretty boring. But from my point of view, it was I saw everything. It was like the humor, the the pain, the destruction, the the hope, the quiet grace and a nobility, the defiance. Um, I saw all of that, and uh, that was just one example. I saw volunteers uh, who held Kherson uh, together during occupation. They fed people. Um, they kept getting harassed by the Russians um, who were in charge. Yeah, there was a lot of that going around. Listen, I want to ask you about what you saw in Kherson, because I know you wrote a big piece about these detention centers and what happened in them. Can you talk to me about what you witnessed there and, and what people who you spoke to told you had happened? It was like this pre-trial detention center. It was a jail, basically. Ukrainian police held uh, alleged criminals there, then they went to court. And this was converted into a detention center for um, suspected collaborators, uh, guerrillas, uh, spies, It's you know, all this stuff. Uh, I spoke to people who were detained there. There were these various cells with doors on them instead of bars. Pretty dingy place. Um, and people said that there was screaming coming from it every day. There were children nearby. Oh. Yeah, so the children were like, oh, yeah, we heard screaming all the time. Like, the people in the other cells were like, yeah, when we heard the screaming, we couldn't really eat the food. It was, it was hard to eat. Um, the types of uh, interrogation under torture that I heard about personally was electric shock. That was a popular one. Two guys I talked to, they were shocked, and one of them has uh, concentration problems now. There were some beatings, just, you know, generic beatings. Basically, dark, dingy place. You get taken in. Um, you, you were held there until they checked out your stuff. Many people then later got released. They would drive them somewhere, dump them out, tell them to count to 30, and then only then they could remove the hood from their head and try to get home and figure out where they are. What were these people accused of? Why were they in detention centers? The Russians believed they had done what? If you're trying to maintain control of a population that hates you, and um, many of them might be saboteurs or uh, spying on you for the Ukrainian military, and some of them are even doing more hardcore things like uh, transporting weapons, uh, maybe assassinating people, maybe giving coordinates of important targets, you're going to be paranoid and you're going to be always on the hunt uh, for guerrillas and spies that are helping the Ukrainian armed forces. And there were a lot of such people there, and many of them were unfortunately caught and tortured. I did a story in December, uh, from November to December, I talked to a couple of people who did this kind of uh, underground resistance work. It was very clandestine in cells. It was horrifying. I wouldn't be able to do that. You need an unbreakable uh, spinal cord, I would think, to do that kind of work. You know that the U.S. government recently said that Russia has committed war crimes in Ukraine. We have examined the evidence, and there is no doubt these are crimes against humanity. In your reporting, did you see evidence of what we would consider to be war crimes? Yeah, I saw bodies um, piled into, you know, little piles. Uh, one of them had been set in fire. I've seen, uh, I've, I've interviewed people, uh, civilians whose loved ones were just shot for either for no reason or because they were deemed a threat or just because they were at the wrong place at the wrong time. Thousands and thousands of children have been forcibly taken from their families, deported to Russia and placed with foster families there. Other Ukrainian adults have also been forcibly sent to Russia. That's a war crime. What do you expect next? I would say the the offensive is already underway. You could see the casualty numbers coming out of uh, Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts. But um, that's their thing right now. They're they're really trying their best to take those two regions to the borders. And 
And after that, I'm not sure, but they're going to have extreme trouble with this because even though a lot of Ukrainian troops are going to die, well, be willing to bet that even more Russian forces are going to die and lose their equipment. And it's just going to be horrific uh, sort of meat grinder type of situation. I hear you saying this war is just going to keep going the way it has gone. Meat grinder is one of those awful terms that we've heard applied to this situation from the beginning. And the push and pull of Ukrainian and Russian forces is something we've been aware of from the beginning. Nothing's better, is what I hear you saying. You don't expect anything to get better. Well, what do you mean better? I mean, I think that when this war started, there was a sense that... You know, for a while in the beginning, it was like Russia did not take Kiev, Ukraine can win. But then as the casualties mounted, as the evidence of torture mounted, as the children, as you said, I mean, children being displaced, horrible things happening to kids. I I guess you look for some sense after a year that things might be moving in a more definitive direction. And I don't hear you saying that they are. We can't say. If I were to make a guess, I would say that the war will not end in 2023 because Russia really won't give it up. And now they can't give it up because it would be absolutely humiliating to acknowledge some kind of defeat. I don't think it's going to end in this year. Um, Russia's going to keep trying. There, there's another wave of mobilization possibly going on, possibly about to be announced. Um, the, the fact that they didn't take Kiev, that was sort of the death of their ambition to take over the whole country. So now they can only take part of the country, but that's still unacceptable. So Ukraine definitely can still win. It's it's highly possible that with more support that Ukraine will be able to wreak havoc in Crimea even. And Ukraine can win, absolutely, but the, the damage has been colossal. And the question is how much more damage is there going to be in human lives and cities, uh, destroyed infrastructure, buildings, livelihoods, human lives, uh, economy, um, and how much is going to cost to then fix that all up. Everyone realizes that it's not going to be a quick victory. It's going to be long, it's going to be messy, and uh, I'm just going to have to go through it. That song is Uyuluzi Chernovokalina, sung by Ukrainian refugees now staying in Vilnius, Lithuania. We had production help on today's show from Mikola Polison. Today's episode was produced by Victoria Chamberlain and edited by Matthew Collette. It was engineered by Paul Robert Mounsey and fact-checked by Laura Bullard. I'm Noelle King. It's Today Explained.